0: Well, if you read your bulletin, you'll realize that I am not Chad. Uh, I am filling in for him this morning, and I am excited to do so. Turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. We're going to look at uh, Mark 1, 1, but most of the time we're going to stay in Mark 1, 9 through 15. Mark 1.1, I think, provides a, a subtitle for the entire book of Mark. I think it is a, a subtitle for what all of Mark is about. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I, I mentioned last week that gospel means what? It means good news. So this is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But it's not merely just good news. The gospel is good news that brings great joy to people who need to hear it. This message, this gospel from Jesus, is a message of good news to us because we are people who need to hear it, and it is something that brings us great joy. I have a friend who explains it this way. It is good news to hear that cancer has been cured. Like Everyone would be like, that is great news. I'm, I'm, I'm happy for that. But how much more so is it good news for you if you are the person who has cancer and then they tell you cancer has been cured? That hits differently, doesn't it? This is good news that brings great joy because we are people who have a problem. Outside of Christ, we are sinners. We are, uh, have earned for ourselves spiritual and eternal death because of our sin. And, bec- and there's nothing we can do about it, is there? There is nothing we can do about our own sin problem. And so this message, this beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, is the means by which God has given to us to deal with our sin, to deal with spiritual death that we have. And this morning we're going to look at three scenes, as you are, three moments in the beginning of Jesus' ministry here that clue us in to, that the gospel is good news that brings great joy to people who need to hear it. Let's read Mark 9, 1, 9, through 15. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee. Here in Mark chapter 1, we get the introduction to the character Jesus. And it sets the tone for which the rest of Mark is going to uh, say, what it's going to communicate. And it's going to tell us the very thing it told us in Mark chapter 1, verse 1. That this is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. The Son of God. This is the good news that brings great joy to people who need to hear it. So, we're going to look at three scenes that help us see that the gospel is good news that brings great joy. Scene one, Mark 1 9 through 11. I'm going to read this one more time here. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. This baptism moment is one of the clearest pictures we have for who God has revealed himself to be. This is the clearest picture we have of the triune God. When I say triune God, what I mean is that as Christians we believe that there is one God. But in this one God that there are three distinct separate persons that make up this one God. We have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And here in this baptism account, we see all three members of the Trinity present and working and active. We see God the Father declaring that uh, this is his Son with whom he is well pleased. We see God the Son going beneath the water, then coming back up out of the water. We see God the Holy Spirit as heaven is opened up, descending upon Jesus like a dove. All three are present and working. And this is necessary for our belief. But it's not just an intellectual necessity. It is actually a necessity for the gospel itself to be good news. Uh, a pastor writes it this way, the needs of the gospel require that all three persons of the Trinity play simultaneous roles. The Father is the God who sent the Son and condemned sin at the cross. The Son is the God who became man inaugurated the kingdom, and offered himself up for sin. The Spirit is the God who enabled and empowered the incarnate Son to live an authentically human life and then raised the Son from the dead on the third day. And then the Spirit is the one who applies to the work of Christ according to the will of the Father to us. All three play different and simultaneous roles that make the gospel what it is. It's the best news ever. You see what's going on here. All three members of the Trinity are God, and all of them are necessary in order for the gospel to actually be true and for the gospel to be good news that brings great joy. Because what we see here is that Jesus is not just a cool guy, he's not an a excellent teacher, or a human prophet. He's not created by God, but Jesus is God. He is equal with God. And so, this first scene in Mark, we see that Jesus is God, and he has to be God. He has to be God. For the gospel to be good news because if Jesus is not God then his death means nothing to us lots of people have died lots of people were crucified but only one person only one God died for us so it is good news that brings great joy because the gospel is about not just a man but a divine man God in the flesh the gospel is good news because Jesus is God God Scene 2, verses 12 through 13. Then the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Immediately following this amazing moment where the heavens are opened up and the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus, this Holy Spirit sends him out into the wilderness to be tempted and tried. And in this wilderness, he faced hunger and starvation. He faced temptation from Satan. He was tired and weary. He, there was danger from wild animals. Hunger, temptation, tiredness, fear. Those are things that only humans have to deal with. God is not worried about food. He doesn't ever become tired. God is eternal and needs nothing. He is self-sufficient and so Jesus here is not only fully God, but we see here that he is fully human. He goes in the desert and he becomes hungry. He goes in the desert he becomes tired and weary. He's tempted. You cannot, God cannot be tempted. And yet Satan comes here and is tempting Jesus. He is fully human. Scene 1 tells us that he's fully God. Scene 2 first tells us that he's fully human. But not only is he fully human, he is the perfect human. You see, this scene in the, the wilderness is, is not the first time this story happens, but this is part of a series, it's a sequel, as it were. See, the first time where God's child is faced with temptation actually happens way back in Genesis. With Adam and Eve in the garden, they are God's children. They were created in his image to reflect his character and represent his rule in the world. They were to walk with him and talk with him and dwell with him. And what happens? The serpent comes along, Ted. Eve, deceives them, twists God's words and we have to, and we find out that we're going to find out that God's children do they choose uh, to submit to God or do they choose to be God fortunately the children in paradise chose sin they chose to be God instead of submit to God. Again, we see this story with God's chosen people, Israel, in the wilderness. There they are. They're, they're confronted with temptation once again to sin. They had seen the ten plagues. They had seen the parting of the Red Sea. They had seen God's presence even come down on the mountain. And in the shadow of God's presence on the mountain, what do they do? They chose to submit to God or they chose to try to be the God? And they build the, the idol and they worship the God of their own creation. They chose to sin over autonomy. They chose autonomy over submission. And this is the same choice that each of us make every day. Every time we sin, we are choosing to be God rather than to submit to God. And so here in Mark chapter 1, Jesus is out in the wilderness. He doesn't get the paradise like Adam and Eve had. He was in the wilderness and he was alone. And Satan comes to him and he tempts them. And Jesus exits the wilderness at the end of those 40 days, and he exits it the way he entered it. And that was perfect. Completely, totally perfect. See, Jesus is not just God. He's not just fully man, but he is the perfect man. See, 1 tells us that Jesus is fully man, but he is also perfect He faced temptation and he submitted to God. And because Jesus was fully human, he could die for us. And that's not enough. He had to be fully perfect and fully human. If he if Jesus had sinned in that wilderness, he had sinned at one point in his life, he would not have been a perfect enough sacrifice to deal with our sin totally and completely. The gospel is good news because Jesus was fully God. The gospel is good news that brings great joy because he was fully man. He could deal with a human problem because he came as a human and he was perfect. Every day of his life. The gospel is good news that brings great joy. Because where God's children had failed before God's son overcame. That brings us to scene three. Here in scene three, Jesus is beginning his ministry. He preaches the first sermon that we have in Mark, verse 14 and 15. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. As Jesus has demonstrated, he is fully God. He has demonstrated that he is fully man and he is perfect fully man. He gives to us then good news. And he calls for us to respond to it. The first thing he says is this. The time is fulfilled. What does he mean by that? Since the beginning of uh, creation... God had a desire to live with his people, but because Adam and Eve sinned, humans were separated from God. And they, we were destined to eternal spiritual death. In that moment where God comes to Adam and Eve and the serpent, he gives to them curses, but he also makes, gives them a message of good news that is to be great joy for them. That one day he would come along, he would send somebody who would be a serpent crusher, who would take the head of the serpent and they would step on it. They would destroy the power of sin and death forever in this world. And so Adam and Eve are, are probably thinking, maybe, maybe it's Cain or Abel. And then Cain kills Abel. So God gives him Seth, and it wasn't Seth. And we come along, through, we're reading through our Bible, and then we come along to a man named Noah. Is he going to be the one that can defeat the power of Satan? Is he going to be the one that can defeat sin? And Noah was defeated by sin we come along God chooses a man named Abraham and through Abraham he's going to bless the whole world, all nations are going to be blessed through Abraham, is he going to be the one that can crush the serpent's head and Abraham can't do it, what about his son Isaac Isaac messes up, Jacob messes up, Jacob's sons mess up, we keep going and we keep going, waiting for this person maybe it's one of the kings King Saul, could he be the one? He looks like a great king, and yet his heart was far from God. And then we get to David, who is a man after God's own heart, and could he be the one? He's the great king of Israel. This is the one that we've been looking for, and David blows it. So over and over we see that we're waiting for this person to come along who can crush the serpent's head. This time is fulfilled when Jesus says that. He's saying, I'm the one. The time is fulfilled in me. The promise that God made in Genesis chapter 3 is being filled by me. I'm the one. The time is fulfilled where I'm going to deal with sin. My own. I'm going to do it. Jesus is coming and saying, God's promise is going to be kept by me. He is the one that was promised at the beginning and throughout the whole of the Old Testament. Not only is that True, the time is fulfilled, but the kingdom of God is at hand. What is the kingdom of God? Is it something on a map? I think not. I think it is the the presence of God. The manifested presence of God in the garden. God was able to walk and talk with Adam and Eve, but because of their sin, they were no longer able to do that because God is holy and we as humans are now sinful. And so God gave a way for people to have For God's presence to dwell with people, he gave people the tabernacle and the temple where uh, there were walls and there were uh, sacrifices and purifying that would have to happen in order that people could have the presence of God dwell with them. And it was good, but there was a problem. People kept sinning, and the sacrifices had to keep coming, and they had to sacrifice over and over and over again. They kept having to kill animals to cover the guilt of people. So when Jesus comes here in the New Testament and says the kingdom is at hand, what he is saying is the presence of God is here. In one sense this is very true because he is God himself. He is in the flesh. He is with them and he's saying I'm here. But he's also saying with me is coming God's kingdom. The presence of God will once again dwell with you. There is good news that brings great joy. God can once again dwell with us. And then he gives to us the means by which we can have access to his kingdom. He tells us to repent and believe in the gospel. What is repentance? Repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of action. It isn't a feeling sorry, it isn't feeling guilty, but it is a change of mind that leads to a change of action. Let's put it this way, if I'm driving down a road and the road ends in a cliff, repentance is not me saying, oh man, this is a bad decision, I feel bad about this, and then you just continue off and drive off the cliff. That's not repentance. Repentance is you see the cliff coming. and say, I see the cliff. I don't want to go that way. And you stop and you turn and you go the other direction. That's what repentance is. And the call here is that if you want to be part of God's kingdom, there is a moment where you have to come to the conclusion that what God says about you is that you are as sinful as you think you are. Actually, you're worse than you think you are. You are far more sinful than you could ever have dreamed. And God calls you to Repent. Of that sin. Turn from your sin. But repentance alone is not enough because repentance and belief go together. They are two sides, I believe, of the same coin. You cannot have repentance without belief, and you cannot have belief without repentance. But it's not belief in a God. It's not just belief that there is a God. It's not a belief. It's not even just belief that the Bible is real or that Jesus is God, but it is a belief in this finished work of Jesus Christ on your behalf, you must believe that the gospel, that Jesus' is life, death and resurrection is what is, all, is sufficient and the only thing that you can hand to God as the means by which you can enter the kingdom. There's a uh, pastor was talking uh, saw a video clip the other day of a pastor talking, and when he gets to the, to the gate of heaven, they ask him, "Why should I let you into heaven?" His answer was this. The man on the sinner cross said I could come in. That is all we bring to the table. is our repentance and our belief in Jesus Christ. Think of the, the, um, the thief on the cross next to Jesus. What does he do? Does he do any great works? Does he start attending church? Does he start cleaning up his life? No. He comes, turns to Jesus, stops mocking him, says, Jesus, when you go to heaven, can I come with you? What has he done? He's repented. And he's believed and that is how you enter the kingdom biblical conversion requires repentance from your sins and belief that the gospel is sufficient and necessary and so the rest of the mark we, through the rest of the mark we see these three scenes played out we see that Jesus is fully God we see that Jesus is fully man and we see that the response to him is that we are to repent and believe in him Following this Jesus calls the first disciples, follow me and I will make and you and I will make you become fishers of men. Jesus calls his disciples to believe in him. Jesus heals a possessed man. He has the authority to call out spiritual beings. This is a foreshadowing of the victory of God's kingdom in this world. He heals many. Jesus being fully God has the power to heal. In God's triumph, ultimate triumph over the over death and sin in this world. This is good news that brings great joy because it is news that we can respond to. So Jesus is fully God, he is fully man, and it is a good news that we are to respond to. And so it is possible that you could be thinking here, wow, that's cool, Mark is about Jesus. I'm sure many of you knew that Mark was about Jesus. Or maybe you're thinking, this doesn't matter to me, how could this matter to me? I mean, I've read Robin Hood before, Robin Hood's life, death, death, didn't have any effect on my life. Why would this have any difference? Maybe we're reading this as a a fable or fairy tale. Like, man, it's really cool when the sky opens up and the Holy Spirit comes down. That sounds cool. Not sure I believe it, but it sounds cool. I think if we read the Bible in this way, we're missing something because the Bible is a message of good news that brings great joy. And Mark is trying to convince us this is good news that brings joy to people who need to hear it. And we are the people that need to hear this message. We need this good news because Jesus is God and because he is a perfect man, through him our sin can be permanently covered, dealt with, and taken away. In Israel's history, they had to sacrifice animals to do this. They had to shed the blood of an animal so that God could deal with our guilt. Someone had to die. But the problem is, People keep sinning, and so we had to, they had to keep sacrificing over and over and over again. Why? Hebrews 4, 10, 4 tells us, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. But why, do we, why do we do it in the first place? If it's not good enough to save us, why, why did they do that? Because it was a picture of what was to come. It was impossible for those sacrifices to be good enough to provide full atonement. Their blood was not good enough to fully repair the relationship, they, but they were a picture of the lamb who was to come. When John the Baptist sees Jesus in the book of John, he says, Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin in the world. What is he talking about? He's talking about those sacrificial lambs who died in the place of people so that their guilt can be covered, so that their sin could be taken away. But Jesus was not like them because he was not a sheep, but he was fully God and he was fully man and he was perfect in every single way. He was the perfect sacrifice. So when he died on the cross, his blood was sufficient for us. It was enough for us that our sins could be taken care of and dealt with so that we don't have to kill animals anymore to have a relationship with God. Because the Lamb of God died in our place on that cross. And because Jesus' sacrifice was so perfect, his sacrifice was also totally final in that it does not require repeating. It's why we don't have an altar here in our church today. Continuing on in Hebrews 10, And by that we, will be, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every piece stands in daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ has offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time until his enemies shall be made a footstool for his feet. See, Jesus has completed his work. He is sitting at the right hand of God and he is waiting for all things to be made complete. But in the meantime, we don't look to animal sacrifices, but we look upon his sacrifice, not only as entrance into the kingdom, but the means by which we live inside the kingdom. The gospel is not just for your salvation, but it is the means by which you say no to sin. It's the means by which you live your Christian life. Continuing on in verse 14 of Hebrews 10. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Because of Jesus' victory over sin and death, we know that we who are in Christ are promised the very same thing. We are promised that we can be free from sin, free from the guilt of sin, free from the punishment of sin, free from eternal death, free from physical death. So we turn to Christ in every situation. Because Jesus was a perfect sacrifice, there is a response to that that we ought to make. Because he was the perfect sacrifice, we, he has defined for us how we are to respond to who he is. And that response is this, that we are to repent and believe in the gospel. Repenting and believing in his sacrifice is required for our sin to be covered by him. And when we repent and believe, we have access to his kingdom. We have access to his presence. And the kingdom promises access to God, freedom from sin, victory over death, and life abundantly now and life eternally in the future. And you might be sitting here thinking, man, this is really tough. You might be struggling with sin. You might be struggling with guilt for sins you've committed, loss, brokenness, hurt relationships. You may be hopeless. You might feel unloved or uncared for. Some of you may even think that none of this even matters to you because you're doing better than the guy down the street. And you may be here and you might have a thriving relationship with Jesus Christ. But God gives to us in this passage, I believe, what his will is for our life. The means by which he has called us to live. God's will for your life is that you would continually repent and believe but you don't know what I've been through. You're right, I don't. Jesus does, and he's called you to repent and believe. But you you don't know the terrible things that I've done. You're right, I don't. Jesus does, and he calls you to repent and believe. I, I already trust in Christ. Praise God. Repent and believe. Continually do this. This is the practice of what the Christian life looks like, where we continually are trying to realign ourselves with who God is. We, we may go the wrong way at some times, but we repent of that, and we believe that the gospel is sufficient for us, that it is enough for us, that we don't have to do any works for God to forgive us. I mean, how many times have we sinned, and we felt like we had to clean ourselves up before we could come to God? I'll get to God when I feel better about what I've done. Or right, I'll, I'll come to God when I have punished myself enough for this sin. But God says, no, in that moment you repent and you trust that the gospel is sufficient for you. It's not just for those who want to enter the kingdom, but it's for those people who have already entered the kingdom and have the presence of God in them today. See, Mark's gospel is the beginning of good news that brings great joy. It's the beginning of good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And the good news is this, that Jesus being fully God and fully man overcame sin in every moment of every day of his life. And because he was perfect on every day of his life and because he was fully God and fully man, he could die for you so that you might have life and life abundantly. That you might have freedom from your sin, that you might be able to live as his child with his presence. And one day you will get to see with unveiled eyes the glory of our Heavenly Father. This is good news. Not only, it's the best news, and it brings great joy because we are people who need to hear it.